Hello, and welcome to Mac Gamecast, episode 12, a Mac gaming podcast where we talk all about games, Mac games, and adjacent things. Going to have to apologize here. This episode is about three weeks late. It was recorded actually a while ago, just now posting it. The next episode's also ready, so you're going to see a double post of this show, and then maybe an additional actual new episode. Uh, I apologize to listeners for the delays, technical and life difficulties. So thank you for being patient. Enjoy the show, and we should be back on track as usual for regularly scheduled episodes. Yeah, Lily's moving. Casper. Uh, Casper is busy with school and work. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can get kind of crazy. I know he's going. <laughs> school can be a big thing. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a lot of projects, and Sam's just kind of MIA. I don't know what he's up to. Yeah. But uh, that's all right. No problemo. Uh, yeah, on the menu today, did you uh, happen to finish Metro Exodus by any chance? No, I'm still I'm still in the uh, finding the medicine part. I got oh. I got way I got waylaid by um, <laughs> New World being released, and it was like I'm trying to move off my friend that I play MMOs with over to a different game because I'm kind of tired of uh, World of Warcraft. So um, I wanted to get into it and ended up finding, you know, kind of falling in love with it. So, <laughs> so. Nice. anyhow, yeah, there was a lot of bad news about it when it was released in beta, but I have played four, four or five hours now and uh, I haven't had an issue yet. You know? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched a little of that on Twitch. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like an MMO guy, but it seems... uh, Well, they they have a lot of... Yeah, they have a lot of interesting uh, concepts and, and... you know, from MMO, you know, MMO, like being doing World of Warcraft for so long, there's certain restrictions about what you can do with certain types of characters. And apparently they decided, you know, that's not important. You can do whatever you want with any character, <laughs> you know, or you could do try to do everything, which is, you know, you know, uh, which won't work to the greatest advantage, but you could do that. And uh, I kind of like that concept because it gets, lets you try a bunch of different things out. So. Nice. Yeah, I, it's it's been it's a lot of fun so far. I mean, it's only been a few days that it's been available. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Pretty new. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. certainly the I know the MMO space needs some new life breathed into it. I mean, the two biggest MMOs currently are WoW and what Final Fantasy fourteen, and they're like fourteen, yeah, ten to twenty years old or something games, and they're like the top yeah. MMOs. It's like, yeah, where's like a new top MMO. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the problem. It, you know, everything that comes out is kind of like, eh. you know, it's almost there, but people get interested in a while, then it kind of like fades. And that's the only thing I'm concerned about with this one is it's going to be one of these things where, you know, you play the game to the final level and then there's nothing left. And, right. uh, you know, I mean, that was one of the promises originally from, World of Warcraft, and I don't know about Final Fantasy, but I, I, I think it might be the same with them, is because you're paying for a subscription service, they keep adding features and events and whatnot into the game. Although, I would say, at least in WoW's case, the uh, the events 
kind of became repetitious. You know, there's a bunch of holidays, but they repeat every year. And after 15 years of doing them, <laughs> right. it's kind of like, okay, nothing new here. <laughs> so, you know, it gets, it gets just kind of old after a while. And, you know, that's, that's me. I, maybe a new player would find it more fun, but so right. anyhow. Sure. I think there's less new players into these older games on their own, unless they probably have someone already playing it, and they're like, hey, come join me in my adventure in WoW or yeah. Final Fantasy or whatever, or XMMO. Um, there's others, of course. Um, a number of them on Mac, too, still. I mean, again, they're really old, like Guild Wars and 2, and I don't yeah, know which right. other ones are kicking around. Final Fantasy fourteen had a Mac client, and then I don't know what happened to it, if it's still around or whatever. Obviously, I WoW even has a native uh m1 version and stuff silicon version um so yeah they yeah that's one thing with the wow at least they've you know they've been pretty supportive of of the mac side including when they re-released the uh you know we like to call the vanilla version of uh world of warcraft so um classic you yeah. know yeah the classic but and then the classic update <laughs> right <laughs> yeah start, that... I, but that's a sad thing. Instead of coming up with a lot of new, you know, material and making the game fun, they're re-releasing old games. Right. And, it's, you know, like, uh, it's like re-releasing your best hits album or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Like uh, updated audio formats or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I have to say, I'm probably have I haven't more fun playing the classic game with all the limitations than I am actually playing the real game. I actually quit playing the real game probably about four or five months ago. It was just getting, it was just not interesting. And, you know, the classic was a little bit more of a challenge. So I, you know, I'm playing that with a friend. But, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> and I'm also paying a premium price for this luxury, you know, and that's one thing that really annoys me. So, Yeah, the... Uh, free-to-play model versus the subscription model is really interesting to me in general. Um, uh, Actually, without, as an aside, I did start recording. um, Oh, okay. Like, (laughs) as soon as we started talking. But I may, like, go back and edit this in as a segment or something, because it's actually turned out to be rather interesting. Um, Yeah, free-to-play versus subscription, I think, is a big deal, because... uh, Perhaps some MMOs are, you know, uh, worth the price. Like a lot of people probably would argue WoW is worth the price. There's certainly some people who would argue it isn't. Um, I believe Final Fantasy XIV is also subscription. So yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's the interesting thing to point out is like the most popular MMOs are subscription driven. What does that tell you? Well, probably because they're more polished, because maybe they have more content, maybe because they have better systems. Free-to-play MMOs tend to, or free-to-play games in general, like truly free-to-play games, um, except for like some notable exceptions that are really strong, um, like Dota 2 or Paladins or um, something yeah, like that. Uh, they feel like regular games that happen to be free um, versus games that you can see are obviously designed around being free to play and they make it really awkward and inconvenient to play. And you're, you're basically, if you like the game and want to play it, you'll probably spend money on it because it's too annoying not to. Right. Um, Right. And I see even path of exile as this, 
Um, okay. I think it's cool that there's this big free-to-play RPG that's sprawling and big and has all kinds of options. You can just play it. But the systems are so obviously horribly free-to-play to me, I can't enjoy the game. <laughs> like, as like as a free-to-play game, I think it's really good. Like, mm-hmm. 8 out of 10 or something. But if it okay. was a paid game, I'd rate it like a 5 out of 10 or a 4 out of 10. I think it'd be horrible. Um, but that, But of course, my argument kind of falls on itself because if it were a paid game they would have designed it differently yeah since it's a free-to-play game it's designed a certain way um like you have very little inventory space very quickly they're like hey you can buy more inventory space and it's like play the game a bunch you're gonna buy inventory space um and the whole skill and leveling systems really kind of weird and obtuse and grindy um <laughs> grindy yeah now i have some bias because i'm more of a diablo fan in games of that ilk um okay basically i just have a huge problem with free-to-play games that feel like free-to-play games rather than games that are well made again let's let's say dota 2 for example is a popular moba made by you know uh, valve well not really made by valve it's more published by valve it's made by like some modders and stuff but that's besides mm-hmm. the point. Um, and, for example, every hero is available for free in the game, ever, permanently. The only monetary system in the game revolves around cosmetics in the market. And even more okay. so, those can be made by users. You and I could go and make stuff if we had the talent, the you know the capability, graphic design, whatever. We could go and design stuff, items for that game, and sell them. And we could okay. get a cut. And if you're good enough... You actually get featured in their like official chests and event unlocks, <laughs> and you get a like bigger revenue because you get featured and stuff. right. So that's pretty okay, cool. So, well, that's a good thing. I mean, that gives that gives an economy to the game yes, for people, correct. you know, who are really into it. I mean, and you know that that was one of the things. I mean, years and years ago, when Neverwinter Nights first came out, uh, one of the things that was really cool about it was they released the uh, engine to be able to ma- make your own maps and games. And right. people did, and you could actually some of them you could actually buy through the wherever it was you got the uh, Neverwinter Night stuff, either sep- you know shareware you know through the internet or you know through their service. And uh, there's some excellent things made by people. You know, I'm sure they made some a fair amount of money <laughs> right. selling the amount of you know the map or the actual actually some of them were more more than just the map, but an actual game with you know a series of events that you were supposed to go through and everything well thought out and uh, yeah, that gave the game a lot more life too. Which yeah, you know, getting people involved in it. Yeah, I think modding's that's like a a different topic but i think that's really cool and in some cases like super serious modders that have created like basically content on par with the actual game uh, yeah in a number of cases they've gone the studio's gone and hired them like holy moly these guys typically guys <laughs> like they're incredible and hire them on i think um cd project red did that recently for cyberpunk if i'm not okay. or witcher or something um they've gotten a lot of you know we've talked about the game a bit on the cast before uh here and there and they've caught some flack, but that was something cool. I think they added some modders who have been... Because there's no official modding support in the game yet, um, but maybe it'll be right. added one day. But um, kind of back to the free-to-play thing, uh, <clears throat> this gamer friend of mine in Canada, he once called me the free-to-play guy. And I was <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I was almost insulted. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're, you're playing like, uh, you know, Hearthstone and Path of Exile. And uh, what was I playing at the time? Uh, Marvel Heroes, which was an RPG. It, 
it got discontinued, but that was free to play. I was playing like four to five different free to play games all at the same time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been the free to play guy lately. Um, but in most cases, those games felt like actual games that were free to play rather than like forced microtransaction stuff. Um, I mean, there's, you know, uh, I think Marvel Heroes did a good job when it was around, but it got discontinued. So how well did they really do? Like how sustainable is a free to play version right. of the game, right? Like a, a lot of these MMOs that like this is where the discussion started with MMOs. A number of them try, have tried to be free to play. And then usually at some point in their life, say one year in, two years in, or maybe less, they're forced to go free to play because no one's paying for their game because it's not interesting enough. Yeah. Uh, I think Star Wars yeah. The Old Republic that did that. What was it, like Wildstar or something, though that died out? Like a bunch of these game MMOs have already have launched uh, with uh, subscribe up front, turned free to play when it didn't work out, and then the game died off anyway, and it's just the yeah. plug was pulled. Yeah. Um. So that's not a, you know, I'm not happy about that, even though I'm not an MMO guy. You know, all devs, studios, obviously, everyone's trying to make a good game. Everyone, you know, typically probably puts their heart into their work and wants to make something like they love and show it off and hope other people will. And in a bunch of cases, it doesn't. Um, I guess the problem with MMOs is you're competing in a really crowded market and there's people at the top of the food chain who haven't basically died off. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) They've been there like forever almost. Um, And it seems like very difficult to supplant them. Whereas in other genres, it seems much easier to kind of take the crown or at least compete for the crown um you know like shooters or strategy games or rpgs or obviously like in certain cases you're not really competing like a lot of single player games don't really compete uh or indies and this and that they're more like particular experiences um but even so there is some competition in certain areas but you're not you know you're probably not fighting like millions of subscribers to an already existing game or whatever um, so it's probably easier to, to do that. Like it must, yeah, it must be really, I imagine it'd be very stressful, uh, working on a new MMO because of the reasons we just mentioned, like, can we compete? Will any right. people like, will people, obviously everyone's going to flock to your game up front if it's halfway decent, um, right. and accessible, but like, will they stay? <laughs> right. Will they you stay? Know? Right. Will they stick around? You know, will your game thrive like Gulp by Hope, I guess? Because <laughs> you're well, committing to a, a, a live service game, really. Like, that's what an MMO is. It's ongoing yeah. with expansions and content and events. And Right, right. Yeah. And that, that was one thing that really surprised me about the, uh, the um, you know, the New World thing, you know, they well, I know it was Amazon, so they have lots of money to dump on things, right. and uh, but they have all these servers that they've popped up for people to play on, and it's you know they haven't said anything about paying for the service. Um, I don't know if they plan on it being at one hit, you know, you know, play your way to sixty and maybe do a little bit of you know, high-end war stuff at the end and then go away, or if they intend to, uh, you know, add more content in the future. The only thing I heard about it that they were going to add as far as um, in-game purchases were, like, cosmetic-related things. Um, 
Right. You know, New World, you have to buy it for like 40, 50 bucks. Or yeah, whatever, you bought right? it. Yeah, 40, 50 bucks, depending on the version you get. Right. But, you, you know, you're buying a game just like any other, you know, right. new game you buy. So, but that gives you the ability to play on their servers, you know, for which I, I kind of like that way of doing it, you know. So, if it's a good yeah. game, I'll, I'll stick yeah. with it until the end. Yeah, I personally, on the topic of like pay versus free to play, or you could even say, say similar idea to subscribe i guess in some case in some games or mmos you have to buy it and keep subscribing to it it's kind of like a double whammy. Um, right i feel like it should be one or the other like yeah just buy it kind of like new world or it's quote unquote free to play let's say like i i don't know wow at a point i think you had to buy and subscribe i think now you still do no you still do yeah you gotta Okay, I thought yeah. it was like free up to level twenty, and then you have to pay per month or something. That might that might be the case. I don't know. I haven't been at level twenty for <laughs> forever, <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah. for like ten years or more. Yeah, it's... but right. But you know that could be the case. Maybe they'll let you go. But I, you know, every up up, you know, every enhancement, every change of the new, um, you know, release of the game, I've paid for in advance. So. Right. Yeah. No. Um. I don't play WoW, but as a Warcraft fan, I've always followed the story. So I'll go and watch the cinematics. I'll go and read the plot summaries of all the expansions and all the the brouhaha's and Sylvanas yeah. burning down the world tree and spoiler <laughs> alert uh, and yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, all that, yeah. So I don't play, but I keep up on the lore because I like the story and characters from playing Warcraft 1, 2, and 3 and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah I personally would prefer to pay for a game. Mostly because, yeah, I don't want to deal with microtransactions, and I prefer the kind of work that goes into a paid game versus a free-to-play one. Um, right. Like, true free-to-play games on, like, the lower to medium end of the scale really feel—they they have a certain—I almost feel like they're all designed by the same, like, UI team or something. There's just I- this weird free-to-play feel and look about them where everything's a little— cheap and dingy and kind of clunky or something uh it just doesn't it's just it's just a different feel and a different mm-hmm. look um it's hard to describe i didn't you know you'd need like screenshots or whatever um but games that do it better again feel like they're on quality the same of the same quality of like a regular paid game um and i think blizzard mostly does a good job of this with hearthstone for example or heroes of the storm they're free to play moba um both um, World of Warcraft and Diablo 3 have, like, demo, infinite demos, essentially. You can play as long... There's no, like, you can no longer play, but there's a level cap. Mm-hmm. You can only, I think, in the Diablo 3 demo, hit level 10 or something, and you can't go past the first big boss, the Skeleton King, in, Diablo, uh, sorry, in World of Warcraft is you just capped at level 20. And obviously, mm-hmm. since you're level capped, you can only go so far in the story and everything. But you can try out all the different characters in the game and run around and for so long. So I think that they have infinite demos is pretty cool. Hearthstone is like really well designed um, in terms of its interface and its presentation and ease of use and accessibility and everything and tutorials and onboarding. It's like, it feels like a high end game. It has a different issue in that it's a uh, CCG collectible card game um, Mm -hmm. or an LCG, a living card game, essentially. Whereas if you don't spend money, you can't be competitive that's not unique to Hearthstone. That's unique to that genre of card right, game. Right. It's true of, um, you know, Magic the Gathering. It's true of um, even if you're playing like cooperative, 
card game board games. I've been talking a lot about board and card games on the podcast lately, um, mm-hmm. like Marvel Champions or Arkham Horror. Like you just basically have to spend a bunch of money on stuff beyond the core box, or you're going to get very little out of it. So that's just kind of that living card game, collectible card game nature. You're essentially you got to invest a bunch of money into it if you really want to get into the game like more than just a little bit. Um, in a sense, you could view that as like microtransactions in a video game format. Because um, there's people who spend like $500, $1,000 on some of these card games. And I, I mean, of course, in terms of magic, people spend thousands and thousands. Yeah. If you're like <laughs> really into the tournaments and into the scene. And I never was. Uh, I just know people who were. Um, where I got this buddy, like, yeah, I decided to sell my magic collection. I got like a thousand dollars, you know. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's cool as well, like, because it's physical, you can just sell it. Um, so this is a great segue to talk about, um, DRM and digital games. Well, even if we didn't have DRM, well, you couldn't, you can't really sell your games because in almost every case, they're tied to an account of some kind, or I think can just even. Even in a non-DRM case, like good old games at the Mac App Store, it's still tied to your account. Right. Now, you can download it from your account and then share it with somebody else, and they don't have to log into your account to play it. They can just play the game. Um, but to initially download the game, it is under someone's account, at least if you're doing it legally. Um, but it's interesting. The reason I wanted to talk about DRM a bit is because after I posted a written review of Metro Exodus which I do mm-hmm. want to talk about a little more as well. Um, I post, I've been posting some written reviews on the Mac Gamecast website. I also cross-post them to the Inside Mac Games forum. There's like an old uh, certain subset of Mac gamers over there that have kind of been there forever. You know, it's their hangout. Um, and I was one of the old writers on the original website back in like 2010, so were you. Um, so anyway, I post my reviews over there, and <clears throat> at the start of them, I do a little... Um, you know, info blurb, like, what is this game? And I do a short sentence and like, who's the developer and what can you expect to pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the end, I also do platforms. So I had put, uh, Steam and Epic Game Store for the plot, like the, where you can, where you can buy the game. And I'd forgotten the Mac App Store. So a user commented somewhat, almost angrily, uh, annoyed, like, hey, like, it's is also available on the Mac App Store, you know, like, this is a DRM free version. Why would you want those like horrible, drm ridden pieces of trash from like steam or the epic game store i'm paraphrasing that's more or less what they said Uh um so i could see they were very passionate about drm free games um and that got me thinking oh like i don't think about it that much um anymore anyway and i never was too concerned about it to begin with but i think the subject of drm is interesting drm aka digital rights rights management um, which, of course, is used broadly in entertainment across music and, and video and all this stuff in terms of digitally uh, purchasing it. So as far as games go, like your basic DRM is something like Steam or the Epic Game Store. Or if you're on a console, I guess it would be like the uh, Xbox, whatever, or the PlayStation Store, or whatever it is. I'm not right. familiar because I don't own consoles. Um, so there are people like when I think of DRM. I don't even think of something like Steam or the Epic Game Store. I think of um, uh, things they specifically implement to prevent you from playing the game if you haven't bought it legally. Like right. it, it always has an internet connection or it does some sort of like special license check or license key check. Or I mean, heck, I remember even back when I was like five or ten or whatever, 
playing some of these old, uh, I think it was Prince of Persia 2, Shadow in the Flame. It had this, like, really interesting form of DRM where occasionally, not every time, I forget what the trigger was, but it would ask you to, um, when you, you would boot the game and then it would, like, load a special screen and it'd have, like, all these diagrams on it and you'd have to go to the back of the manual and like, oh, <laughs> like solve this little puzzle matchup thing or something oh to like God. get into the game. It wasn't hard and it was thematic like to the game. Um, but that was like an ancient form of DRM. Like, hey, if you've pirated this well and you don't have the manual or a photo or something, um, I actually remember it wasn't that complicated because I remember sketching it by hand. Um because I think I gave the manual to a friend or something <laughs> so he could play the game, you know, my buddy next door or not like, I don't know, a couple blocks away or whatever. Um, so I remember sketching down in the notebook, like all these diagrams that wasn't a very good sketch, but it was like good enough so that I could get into the game. Um, so that's pretty funny. So I think of DRM as that. I think of DRM as essentially anti-piracy. And I guess you could argue, well, Steam of the Epic Game Store is the same thing. I just think of it as a different layer. Um and on the Mac side, we don't have to deal with it too much beyond the platform requirement like Steam or the Epic Game Store. Um, on the PC side, it's very common in almost any major release to have some like anti-piracy layer like de novo or a bunch of other things. And they take up extra processing power, extra GPU power. In some cases, they do like really weird and insidious things to your PC and your BIOS and your hard drive and stuff. Um, and... You know, these companies have gotten into hot water before and faced like pretty big outrage from the from the PC gaming community for it. Um, but we don't deal with that on the Mac end um, for whatever, you know, we're just not big enough, I guess, to worry about. <laughs> so they've never bothered implementing it, uh, which is fine by me. Um, I do remember, fam- uh, not famously, but uh, I did a Settlers 7 review for Inside Mac Games. So that was like almost a decade ago. I do remember it was one of it might have been the first game I ever played that had an always online requirement. It just wow, had to always yeah. be online, and that that was it, you know. Um, even though it was a single player game, I think, or it had maybe multiplayer, but it was primarily single player. So that's right. like the weirdness, right? You have like single player games with always online requirements. It's like, well, that's kind of dumb, you know. People might want to play it on the road or on the go, or so. My problem with DRM in that sense, like the quote-unquote anti-piracy DRM layers, is generally speaking, all it does is inconvenience the like the legal legit users. Legit, yeah, exactly. And the pirates, well, they've pirated it and it's bypassed the DRM anyway. So it's like, what's the point? Um, right. And in some cases, there was I forget what game it was, uh, some AAA game. It had like much better performance than the pirated version. Because the DRM anti-piracy thing was like chewing up tons of GPU and CPU in people's uh-huh. machines. And it was like a big problem. Um, but, where do, you know, I've been yakking a while. Um, do you have any, you know, thoughts, comments, concerns of any or anything about DRM in general? Well, in yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know... I mean, I can I go way back. I mean, I can go back to the days when they used to have special formats on floppy disks to, as the DRM. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and 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 you know, people would you know buy you you could buy a thing that would try to figure out how the sectors were reorganized so you could get them in the right order to load the game without the you know, <laughs> but but you know, yeah, I I I found personally that the uh, services like 
you know, Apple, you know, Apple App Store or Steam or you know, even Epic, where they take care of the DM, DRM through the service you're buying it from, or even the Mac Game Store, same way. Um, that that's it. Just becomes um, not not important to me as the as the player. It just becomes something in the background, and I never think about it. Matter of fact, right. I haven't thought about DRM on games in years. It's just, okay, so if I want a game, I go buy it through Steam. They take care of the DRM stuff. They're happy. I can play. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You know, but, and, and in the old days, you're right. Some of the, some of the schemes they came up with were kind of harebrained. Um, <laughs> but um, you, you had to live with it. And, and half the time, to tell you the truth, back in the old days when I, you know, with that, the main reason people broke the uh, DRM or the, the you know the the, the anti piracy stuff was to get rid of all the nonsense that you were talking about. Right. It was like you didn't want to you know you didn't necessarily want to give the game away to somebody. You just didn't want to have to deal with it. So yeah. you, you you got a program, broke the code, got the stuff into a regular game, and you played it. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, so at least that was my way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and I had done similar things. If I, re- I can't remember the games, but in some cases, you would install it off the CD, um, and usually that was fine. Right. But then some games are like, well, you have to have the CD in to play. Cause that you was have like to have the, the CD in, right. Then I'm like, well, yeah. that's annoying. So then I, f- then I figured out how to work with uh, disk images and DMGs right. and just mount it, like, you know. And then I didn't have to have the disk in, but it thought the disk was in, so ta-da, I could play. You know, and it was just like... <laughs> I don't want to be futzing with discs all the time. Or I don't know, maybe, you know, back then, of course, it was just a shared computer with my siblings. And, like, I don't know, they often had some other CD in there. Maybe someone was watching some movie or music or, you know, whatever. It's like, then you're shuffling CDs, old things. Yeah, it's just like, I don't want to jump through hoops. I just want to play my game. At the end of the day, we just want to play our games, you know. Yeah, well, that was a big thing with people who were playing on uh, uh, MacBooks back in the day, too. Because the CD drive was another load on your battery, and right. having to keep the CD in the CD drive while you were playing was like, okay, there goes my battery, or you got to plug in. And, um, you know, that was one of the re- – I, I remember doing that. I think it was with one of the Diablos, maybe Diablo 1, you had to have the disc in. And, um, and you know, ended up making a um, – you know, like you said, a, a disc image to keep on the hard drive, so I didn't have to keep the disc with me all the time. <laughs> you know, because you run the risk of losing your or breaking your disc when you're on the road. You know, it's like, oh, great, I just broke my, yeah, I just lost my CD to play the game. I'm really messed up. <laughs> right. You know. Absolutely. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I, it was real tough to deal with, but I mean, I understand the importance of it because you put all this time and effort. And, and, you know, work into creating a game. And then if people just trade it, you know, for free, it's like, you know, why did I bother? So, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I, you know, despite all my comments, I definitely think that uh, creators, developers uh, have a right to, you know, reasonably protect their works from just, yeah, free trade, essentially. Um, I just think publishers, because the DRM comes with the publishers, actually, not the developers in most cases. Um, on the PC side, at least, because I used to do a lot of uh, boot camping, not so much these days, and uh, it could just be really heavy-handed and it would just get really obnoxious sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it mostly comes from. Like, yeah, stop bugging me, just let me play my games. Um, but but I get it, you know. Um, 
DRM isn't evil or anything. It's reasonable. It's just some implement. It's just sometimes poorly implemented, where right. it's actually like negatively impacting the gamer, and uh, that's annoying. And the Mac side, not so much. I mean, uh, there just seems to be some people who are really extreme about their computing experience, and they don't want anything extraneous. Um, and the idea of having to say download Steam to play a game is like outrageous to them. Like, that's not acceptable. Like, <laughs> this will never be on my hard drive, full stop. <laughs> um, I, I don't really understand that logic because surely they download other apps to do things. Maybe they aren't like umbrella apps that house a bunch of other apps within them, but they, you know, probably download Photoshop or Firefox or, or, or whatever. Um, to me, I just think of it as that way. That mm-hmm. being said, the Mac version of Steam isn't very well done in terms of, uh, like, performance. It's weird and laggy and buggy and stuff like that. I always use the beta version, which is way better. But it asks me to update, like, almost every day, which is annoying. Oh. Um, <laughs> Eric, several times a week at least. Um, but it performs better, and it's less glitchy, and the, the Steam overlay works better, like, kind of anywhere. Stuff like that. So I can understand the annoyance um, or I feel like this argument was more valid back when computers weren't as strong. And especially if you had a lower end machine and like you could kind of only have a handful of apps open or maybe nothing open and only your game and running Steam on top of that could be like, yo, this is like sucking up resources I need to do other stuff. But right. now nowadays, even like the baseline machines or even the last several years, the baseline machines have been easily strong enough to run Steam plus your game plus leave your mail and Safari and whatever open. Maybe not your Safari. <laughs> Depends on how many tabs you have. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. I feel like that argument was valid at a point, but in now in like, say, twenty post-2020, it's like even even your entry-level machines aren't going to struggle to run, say, the Epic Game Store or Steam. Um, also, the Epic, same thing, Epic Game Store on Mac. The app, it's like super glitchy and weird. Crashes all the time, does weird mm-hmm. things. Um, for some, pretty much for me, anytime I'm trying to download a game, it almost, unless I hide it in the background, it just crashes on me. It's like, mm. don't look at me while I'm downloading or I'm going to crash. So I'm like, okay, I hear you. I'm going to hide you in the background. I'm not looking at you. You can download in peace. And then, then it's happy. <laughs> uh, <that's funny. laughs> so, you yeah. know. Um, I have more online. problems with updates than downloads. <laughs> right. You know, on, um, on Epic, yeah. For sure. Um, but I'm still happy to use it, you know. Um, I play Metro Exodus on, you know, Epic. I play Borderlands 3. I've played, like, hundreds of hours of Borderlands 3 through there. No issue, really, other than a handful of crashes. That wasn't crashing on Epic's part. That was the game itself. Um you know, <laughs> Disco Elysium, uh, a bunch of indie games. I forget the names of right now. After Party and The Hunt Down and stuff. Uh, what is it? Uh, Untitled Goose Game. You know. Um, so it's like, is DRM necessary? I mean, from a gamer point of view, no. We just want to play our games. We don't care. We've bought the game. We've done our part. We've paid the money to the devs or whoever. And, um, you know, that from like we've done our job. Our transaction is complete. And then right. it's like, okay drm schmirm but yeah from uh publishers developers people whose you know uh, livelihood is on the line totally understandable they want to implement measures to ensure that people basically don't just steal their game and they buy it um 
I can I can see some arguments for quote unquote piracy in the ways you said, like avoiding the hoops. I think that makes perfect sense, especially if you've already bought the game. Well, then it's like, what's it to them? You could buy the game and then go either get a pirated copy that runs better or something. Um, I, I feel like there's a few interesting, I feel like it's a few points in piracy's favor, though that word itself is like pretty taboo. Uh, points in its favor, I mean, and this is maybe more niche, but a uh, uh, like archiving, preservation of games, because some games get pulled offline some games are no longer license like the license expires and you can't get them anymore uh mm-hmm. this has happened on mac it happens on pc um i'm thinking of things like uh i don't know a bunch of aspire and feral games have been disappeared over time because like licenses expire for the mac version mafia 2 is one like a notable one um what is it telltale had a back to the future game that one's just you can't get it anymore okay. digitally that only has some physical versions and there's of course hundreds of old old games that are now just kind of obscure and disappeared into the annals of time or maybe they were cd only and now they're digitized so it's like there's this interesting archival point of view but that's like kind of two goody two shoes like are all pirates doing that absolutely they're just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts for like gaming history archives no of course a bunch of them are just getting free games and that's not cool uh i don't support that at all uh, i believe all creators artists anything developers any anything of that type should be fairly and well paid for their work um you know underpaid no uh overpaid well that's up to you if you want to like donate more money to somebody um but you know they should be fairly paid for their work if you want to enjoy something fairly pay for it that's like i'll never budge on that um and our lobbies are hobbies, a luxury hobby. Um, so then you could get into an awkward conversation. It's like, well, what about the people who can't afford the luxury hobby? Um, well, to that, I say there's a lot of really good free to play games, like a lot. Most of them, a lot of them are on PC, granted, but there's still plenty of them on the Mac kicking around. And I can't stop uh, advocating for GeForce now enough because I think it's a really cool service. You get free hour sessions. You can just go and hop on Apex Legends or whatever. Uh, you can't play Warzone, but you can play a bunch of like high end free to play PC games just mm-hmm. right on GeForce Now and like free hour sessions. Boom. There you go. Okay. Then you need good enough internet. But it's like, how much do you want to drill down on that discussion? Like, if you're in, I don't know. It, <laughs> at some point, I assume a certain amount of like your like daily necessities are met therefore you have time and and money or whatever to game um and if you don't well i don't know i'm kind of getting off on a tangent here i didn't really mean to get on but the oh what was the other part of the piracy i wanted to mention it was the preservation and oh demoing Demoing, demos used to just be everywhere i mean i remember getting a mac addict disc every month back in the day it then turned into Mac Life, and now I think they're just kind of gone. And it was just filled with demos, and I got so many, you know, I bought so many games that way. Rainbow Six Siege and Unreal Tournament and Deus Ex and Warcraft and all kinds of stuff off the discs. Demos or shareware was huge, um, and that's almost entirely gone by the wayside. Like, yeah. a demo now is super rare. It's like, holy moly, this thing has a demo? Amazing. Um a lot of indies do demos, I guess, but like AAA demos are really rare, or even like double A demos, super rare. Um, but you know, that's like a really gray area. It's like, well, I'm just going to pirate this to demo it, then I'm going to go buy it if I like it. Um, 
but are you really? Are you really, will you do that? Or are you just going to conveniently keep playing your free version of the game and forget about <laughs> yeah. it? You know, so that's like really uh, sticky territory. Um, nonetheless, I happen to know a number of people who do this like as a methodology. They pirate it, and if they don't like it, they don't buy it, and they trash it. If they like it, then they go and buy the game. In every case, you can just take your save file and throw it into the real game you bought. So it's not like you're losing your stuff right. uh well maybe not every uh, any in almost every case because i guess there's certain games you can't really pirate like you can't really pirate mmos i guess you can they do these weird host their own server things but like the only people there are like other pirates and you don't get updates and it's like i don't know what are you gonna do in like <laughs> a non-updated weird little mmo world probably not that much um or like i don't know Fortnite was a paid game but it's free to play um I mean, if you pirated it, you could probably mess around in their sandbox mode, but that's it or something. Like, there's certain games that are just unpiratable more or less by their nature because they require X, Y, and Z. Um, but no, piracy in general, I think, is bad. I think it has some interesting sides to it that are applicable or even positive. But overall, um, yeah, people are, you know, kids or maybe even adults just being, being lazy or, uh, you know, because it's, it's so intangible right it's not like you're going to a store and grabbing a box off their shelf and stuffing it in your bag or coat or something and then like running out like outright thief like theft you know petty theft or whatever it'd be called by legal terms um uh you're just doing it digitally it's so intangible just click 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 um so i mean i've seen a lot of because the piracy conversation used to fascinate me from a um from multiple perspectives. And if you ask someone like Gabe Newell, who runs Valve, he says piracy is just a service issue. He doesn't view it as like a payment. He like, in his view, you just need to make it worthwhile enough to buy. And that's why Steam has all these ecosystems within it and all these features and all this quote unquote value you can get out of Steam if you want to engage with all those subsystems like, um, you know, the community events, the card trading, the chat rooms, the the groups, the blah, you know, there's all this stuff. Um, uh, you know, it has curated game collections and suggestions and blah, 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 you can engage in. Uh, there's some developers who believe piracies actually helped them sell their game for the reason I just mentioned, because it lets them demo it. Uh, indie game and some indie gamers have said it's actually helped them sell their game. Um, I can't remember. I have some Swedish devs. I forget their name. Uh, what they made? I think they made Machinarium and they made all these like weird adventure games, like really bizarre. Um, and of course, other devs claim, well, you know, everyone just pirated my game and never bought it, and now I've gone under. So it's right. like there's clearly no uh, across the board application to this. In some cases, it's helped people. In other cases, it's ruined people. Um, you know, it's a weird argument of like. Is pi like in your mind? Is pi like say someone pirates a game? Is that a lost sale, or is that a sale that was never going to happen anyway? Like, what right. do you think about it? Yeah, I yeah, it's and I think it's probably one that would never happen anyway. You know, if if somebody was going to do that, they probably weren't that interested enough into it. And maybe in some cases, like you said, where there's people that just don't have the resources for the luxury of playing games. Um, 
maybe they would abort it if they had the resources. But I think for the most part, it, there's just some people who like to collect things, and that might be their only motivation. And or there's some people who just do it for the thrill of doing it. Right. It's <laughs> you like, know what? What's the saying? Like tastes better when it's stolen or something. Something to that effect. Right. right. Exactly. Something to there's, that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Seekers and, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I again, I have to agree. I, I, I'm, I'm big into supporting the people who make the things that I want to do, and you know that means you know like with books and music and you know especially games where people yeah. put a lot of work into them, and movies too, and to some degree, you know, although yeah. there's probably a lot less movies I like than games. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've. I've gone out of my way in some cases of indie devs and uh, sent them in some extra money through like a PayPal link or bought maybe like a DLC that I wasn't like super hyped about necessarily, but like I really liked their what they're doing and want to support them a little more. It means something inexpensive, right? It's like $3, $5, nothing right. like super pricey, um, you know, was well, so once again, like that, that philosophy. Yeah. Like I like what you're doing. I want to support you. Um and I think nowadays, I mean, piracy hasn't been much of a conversation. Like, I remember it used to be a big one in, like, early 2000s and even, like, early 2010 era. Um, the, I haven't really heard any whispers of it these days because I think it's just largely gone to, every, you know, back of everyone's head. We're so used to using systems like Steam or or Epic Game Store or if you're on consoles, those those stores or those, you know, PlayStation Store. And I forget what the Xbox one's called. Um, people just expect it. Um, and everything's so digital these days anyway, and it's kind of so integrated. And I mean, even are CD keys even really a thing anymore outside of like software licenses? I, you know, like, yeah, I haven't seen one in years. <laughs> yeah. For a game. Yeah. It used to be all of our game, punch your CD key and you punch yeah. it into install. And it's like, at a point, these things are just so seamless. They're basically not even there, you know? And I think we're moving more and more towards that in the gaming realm specifically, um, you know, especially within like the next five or 10 years. I mean, I don't know what it'll be, but I can just only imagine it'll be even more convenient, more integrated, more, you know, accessible basically. And that all just kind of fades into the background. Uh, I imagine anyway, yeah. um, th that's what I feel. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's swing back around and talk about some Metro Exodus. Cause when we reviewed the game a couple episodes ago, None of us had finished the game. Now, you haven't finished the game, but you're in the last final section. Right. Um, yeah, right. I did go and binge play the game like over two days <laughs> and like 10 or 12 hours of play or something, maybe even more. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I did finish it. Um, so I did have some extra thoughts, but I would like, um, do you have any additional impressions or comments on the game compared to last time? Uh, the, the only thing, and I, and I think, you know, you've kind of mentioned it, uh, maybe not here, but in other places, that um, that the, the last section seems to be very linear. Um, 
the 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 part of the game the 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 thing part of the game well the thing about the game that really intrigued me was the open world feel of it the ability to just explore run around look at different things you know I found that really a lot of fun it, it I was sometimes not even doing you know the main quest string I was just kind of wandering around looking at things which was right. kind of that was really a lot of fun and uh, you know even though the game every so often would give you a little message like you know you know move move your butt along in the in the in the quest <laughs> thing but it you know it didn't really matter and ultimately you could just go ahead and you know spend your time playing with that stuff and enjoying all the scenery and effects that are created by the game developers which is just a real blast the last part is kind of like you feel like you're on a um, a treadmill okay run here run there avoid this pick up that and and you know and i have to tell you i I was I I almost gave up. I I thought, you know mm. what? There, I must be missing something. Did I miss? Mm. Did I run past the thing with the with the the object you're looking for? And and right. I actually went on the internet and looked at something. And then I, you know, it's like, oh my god, I got to do. You know, it's just kind of like you run and then you run and then you run and you do this and eventually things happen and you get it. But I thought I had missed it. I really did. <laughs> yeah yeah i've that's happened to me a few times throughout the game as well in the, in the like middle to later sections yeah but uh yeah so but anyhow that's that's my feeling is i'm where i'm at at the end of the game so now i kind of have a feel for where it's going and i'll just probably just run through it and maybe consider one of the dlcs or i was actually thinking of maybe doing it again at a higher um more difficult setting uh, okay uh well there is a new game plus mode when right. you finish. Um, and it does a number of interesting things. Um, well, one, I'm curious, okay, since you haven't finished the game, I'm very curious what ending you get. And unlike okay. the previous Metro games, it's actually not, uh, the previous Metro games just kind of had a fixed amount of karma, like or what they call moral points, I believe is the developer's term. You mm-hmm. needed so many of these moral points or you just got the bad ending. Uh, okay. <laughs> Metro Exodus doesn't do that. They still use the moral points, but it's to me, it was almost like a smokescreen. Basically, you need to perform specific actions. I'm not going to spoil what they are. Okay. In each of the three main levels, Volga, um, after the middle one, I forget the name, and then Taiga, mm-hmm. the third main one. Um, you, you need to do specific things in those levels. <laughs> Or you get the bad ending. So I'm really curious whether you, would you like, did you do them or did you just not notice? Uh, in some cases, it's a bit of both. Um, in one case, you have to, it's purely optional. So I find that interesting. In other cases, well, it's in your way. But anyway, I, I won't spoil it. But I'm curious to see what ending you get. I got the good one, but only by a hair. Um, okay. How I did close you, to not getting it. How, how did you find it was by a hair? Oh, I, mean, I looked. I looked it up later online oh, okay. after the game okay. was over. Gotcha. You know, credits were done, and then I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to play this again all the way through. I'm going to go play it through one of the DLCs." Um, so I, I looked it up, and I'm like, "Oh, interesting." So they changed it up a little bit. Um, I've been playing Sam's Story DLC. Uh, really good. I think it's actually way better than the main game. Interestingly enough, hmm. um, but that's because for me, it fixes the main problem with the game, which is the the character. Our Tim has no personality and never talks, and that's just 
became more and more jarring to me as the game went on because more and more like really important things keep happening um specifically to you know your friends and your family and stuff and you just never i just i basically it's funny i still think it's a really good game and i still think it's a must play for any metro fans and i still think it's the best um introduction to the metro series for any new fans you can go back and play last light it's flagged as 32 bit but it's really 64 bit you can go play it um if you want um but it's a little dated I, at this point, I'd still recommend just go look at Wikipedia or some YouTube videos or something and, like, skim through the, like, the main plot beats or whatever. Uh, I think they're a little too dated. Unless you're a person who doesn't mind dated games, go back and play it. But if you'd want something a little fresher, then just start with Exodus. Um, but I liked the game less the more I played it by the time I finished because mainly, well, that thing that got more and more annoying, the lack of... I, I felt... I didn't feel like I was playing the game so much as I was like this disembodied, disconnected spirit, like observing everything. Like, cause my character never had a reaction or a personality other than what people tell you. Like, Oh, basically the most I can glean about Artyom after playing him for three whole games, cause I played him in all of them is that he is like a really determined dreamer type who always like kept listening on the radio in hoping of a better world and risking like his life and radiation exposure to listen on this radio back when everyone was supposed to be in the Metro tunnels. And, um, that's kind of all I know about him after spending like 30 to 40 hours playing him across different games. Um, and that's it. And that's kind of weird to me. And I guess maybe it's because I'm a little more fixated on story and you do have these really nice, quiet moments in between like the bigger open world levels where you're on the train with your friends and your family and people are celebrating things like birthday parties and weddings and you're you know but since you just never talk it just gets so weird to me and it gets weirder because people ask you questions like what do you think artyom and then they just anyway <laughs> i don't want to go on another rant about it but it got worse and worse for me and i was just like oh my god so that's why when i started playing sam's story the character talks, it's Sam, and he talks, and he interacts with things, and he, he talks in combat, he, he comments on exploration when you pick things up, and there's, like, pretty long dialogues, like, several, like, I think in some cases, like, five-minute cutscenes, or not cutscenes, but they're in-person scenes of you, like, talking to people. It's like, oh mm. my god, he has a character, like, he speaks, <laughs> I feel like I'm Sam, and I he has a mission, and he has a purpose, and he's trying to get home, and his parents are important to him, and why? Because of this, this, and that, and, you know... And he's, he's like this, and he's a real badass in combat, and there's some really cool first-person sequences of him, like, kicking ass. Um, and you feel his... He really hates mutants as well. So when you kill off certain mutants, he's like, ah, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> saving the world, one mutant at a time. <laughs> you know, he's like, he has flavor. He has life. It's just like after playing this lifeless wooden character of Artyom for so long it was like oh my god it was like it felt like I was drowning or something um so that was really nice um but I guess the exploration as well like the game's interesting I think the developers created exactly the kind of game in Exodus they intended to make uh I don't think they misstepped it just so happens that after I pl played the game I wished it was a slightly different game than it was. And that's not a fault of the developers. That's just my own bias talking. Um, again, I think it's a really good game. The exploration 
started being really like really cool and especially the different biomes getting to the middle area the second area for example is totally wildly different than the first you know mm-hmm. to avoid major spoilers i won't say why but it's just totally different area with cool new setting and terrain and weather and stuff like that but um i must say it became a little tedious if only because in that sense of exploration and wonder kind of started wearing off because it never really leads to anything if that makes sense it's more basically the game was to me anyway it was more about the experience and kind of journey along the way rather than any one particular thing uh i didn't really feel like i accomplished anything when i finished the game um but i have a lot of cool memories of and screenshots of wandering around and going, wow, this moon is really cool. And <laughs> whoa, you know, this mutant's really scary. Um, and I guess even though I initially loved that open world aspect, the most fun I had with the game was the levels that were less open world because they were more focused and they were more purposeful. And they didn't have any like, they had more purpose to them. So maybe my problem was I wanted a more purposeful game and didn't really realize it and was kind of wowed by all the open worldness. Then in exploring all the open worldness, I realized, well, there's not really anything here other than the occasional upgrade. Like I'd go to every area and there's, you know, scan with my binoculars and get all the question marks. And then like 80% of the question marks is like a dead body with a couple bullets on it or something. There's like no, there's no like, event there or side quest or like i don't know something like people fighting off mutants or or you know what i mean like some some event it was kind of a largely sort of haunting hauntingly beautiful but lifeless sort of journey for me in a i guess is what i'm getting at okay and i still really enjoyed it but i still wish it was a different kind of game oh see yeah I, I was just going to say that the, the uh, that aspect of it was fun for me. That uh, you know, just the I've I'm just one of those type of people who really enjoys exploring the environment, even though it has nothing to do with the game. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, one of the biggest things that I ever did in the original World of Warcraft back years and years ago was I actually got the achievement of being a world explorer by. And the only way to get that was to actually have gone to every part of the entire world. Nice. And, and and to me, that was I would spend hours roaming around, not interacting, fighting, you know, achieving the goals of the game or whatever, but just like looking at the scenery. <laughs> right. But that's just me. And, and, you know, and that's it's like you say, it's a personal thing. It has nothing to do with, yeah. you know, whether the game was good or bad. It was just that's one of the things I really enjoy. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I I explored pretty much every nook and cranny of every map, too, because I like I'm like I'm not a complete game completionist, but I am like a map, a map completionist. If that it's like a subcategory mm-hmm. or something like I want to if there's a map and there's like spots I can go to, I want to go there <laughs> <laughs> and I want to look at everything. So and especially if your you know binoculars pick up like a scribble, scribble question mark on your map, it's like, oh, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. But then as the game went on, I stopped going there because it was like, there's just going to be another body with five bullets I don't need because I'm already maxed out on all my resources. Um, I guess I just wish there was a, not a, even a lot more, just like a little more dynamic or flavorful stuff injected into the world. Mm. Um, 
or even just Archie. And this is why I like Sam's story so much is because there's a lot more of this going on. There's right. more like the places of interest on the map are like actual places of interest. There's more kind of even if like there's dead bodies or something, the way they're laid out or arranged or there's notes or Sam will comment like there's a little bit of a story there, like something happened. <laughs> and there's only moments of that in the main game. But of course, they made Sam's story after making the main game. So clearly, you know, they refined some things. You you only get one open like one map in Sam's story. There's no multiple maps, but it's a big one, but it's a very dense one. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of cool interlocking areas of waterways and boats and bridges and land and buildings. And most buildings you can go in and more events happen. You can get ambushed. There's cool new mutants. Uh, there's a couple new guns. They've also kind of shaved off some of the fluff. You don't have access to all the guns, but a couple new ones and some of the best old ones. So it's kind of like, to me, a shorter, more focused, best of version of Metro Exodus, Sam's story but also having a talking main character. Mm. But there's still plenty of exploration to do and cool things to see. Uh, that being said, I don't want to shortcut Metro Exodus. The last two levels, even though they were more linear, um, Taiga and the last level, which I don't want to spoil, um, where you're at now in Metro Exodus, uh, I really enjoyed it. One, because you get a cool new weapon. That I'm, well, In fact, in both levels, you get a cool new weapon. And I'm like, why couldn't I have this sooner? This is so fun. Um, but there's some, like, horrifyingly awesome new mutants I don't want to spoil as well. But it's, um, I wish they introduced more cool stuff like that in the middle section. I guess I'm only really complaining about the middle section of the game. Okay. I feel like the first part, Volga, was really fresh. The first main open world part. Because um, that's your first open world map and you're exploring and all the stuff with the train and, um then the middle level and I ended up exploring all of it. And it's kind of the biggest map as well. Mostly not necessarily in size, but in accessibility in map two and map three in terms of, cause there's only three open world areas in the game and there's plenty of other little levels in between, but they're like linear ones. Um, there, uh, the maps are big, but they're more restricted. You're cut off by mountains or you're cut off by like large bodies of water or whatever. Um, but in the middle map, you can pretty much go everywhere almost without exception in in the middle of the game. So it took me a lot of time <laughs> to run around exploring everything. Mm -hmm. That being yeah. said, there are a ton of weapon and suit upgrades to find if you care about that. Some of them are really useful. Some of them aren't. Um, anyway, I guess, yeah, it's a really good game. I just wanted something slightly different out of it, but I still think it's super cool. Um, and I think the last two levels are very interesting. I wasn't expecting the last level to be as railroady as you as you're explaining. You felt like you were on a treadmill. Um, I was expecting something a little different out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, they're trying to wrap up the story and they're trying to do a very specific thing um, as a, as a goal and blah blah blah. Um, so I can see why they didn't let it just be, and it's also urgent. It's like time sensitive. So I can see why they didn't let you just roam around like an open world map because then it would be like, well, where's, where's the tension, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's um, that aspect of it too, but yeah. But I must say I'm, it's so like railroady, treadmilly restrictive. It's almost surprising, mm -hmm. like more than you would think for what we're describing. Um, in terms, yeah, it's like, 
yeah, especially coming from an open world area right into this, like, essentially, like, narrow choke point. It's like, oh, wow, that, okay, this is different. Really um, glares, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's a little too jarring, I feel like. And I don't know what they could have done to avoid that, but um, it's a little much. That being said, there are some rad, rad and really scary mutants um, <laughs> in the last section of the game. <laughs> yeah. Watch out for them. Some unusual events. At least I've run into one or two of those. Yeah. Fun stuff. So great game. Yeah, definitely. There's two kernels I don't have. Uh, full disclosure, uh, Sam's story was uh, code from the developer, so I didn't buy it. Um, I did buy Metro Exodus, though. Uh, I didn't have a code for two kernels, and I wasn't interested enough to buy it, so I didn't. Um, but I highly recommend Sam's story. I think it's like kind of a best of Metro Exodus in a shorter package. Um, it does take place after the events of the main game, though, so it does contain spoilers. Only, honestly, for the final Really, only like one, not even doesn't even spoil the whole ending. It only spoils one part of the ending. So, <laughs> I don't like if you don't want to spend like I don't know twenty odd hours on Metro Exodus. I guess it could be done sooner, in like fifteen, if you did less exploring or whatever. Um, if you wanted like a six to eight hour game only, like just go play Sam's story. It's really good. <laughs> like it's really good, and it's very flavorful. Because the character talks. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying, like, if you're, but of course, you can't play Sam's story without owning Metro Exodus. So if you buy Metro Exodus, why would you not play it? I don't know. Right. Maybe someone gives it to you for free or you buy it on a super sale. I don't know. It was on super sale when we reviewed it. You could get all the DLC in the game for like $13, $14. Um, if you can do that and you don't want to play a long game or you don't want to play maybe that more open world roamy kind of game, just, just, just play Sam's story. It's like a mini Metro Exodus, but kind of like best of. Yeah, that's my recommendation. I can't imagine myself saying that about any other game, but I guess, I mean, calling Sam's Story DLC is almost, um, I guess it's all a matter of uh, perception or conception. Like, what do you think of DLC as? I tend to think of DLC as like an add-on or an integration to the game itself, whereas Sam's Story is like an expansion. It's standalone. You need mm -hmm. the game but it tells its own story with its own character, with its own totally new section of the world with zero relation to any of the rest of like the, the base game. So it's really more of like an expansion than like, it's not like a simple DLC. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm not done it, but I'm like halfway through it and I'm having a total blast with it. So oh, highly, good. highly recommend it. Yeah. A lot of fun so stuff. On it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that wraps up uh, Metro Exodus. I won't harp on about the game anymore, other than it's great. In general, I have some complaints. Those complaints are solved in Sam's story. Um, so that's about it. And um, yeah, that's it for now. I was thinking there's any other game on my radar. Uh, not really. Not at the moment, anyway. Like, most of the games on my radar are next year, early next year games, like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands and stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe Dying Light 2. Wonderlands has a chance at a Mac version. I guess Dying Light 2 has a chance at a Mac version as well. In both cases, the developers in-house ported Mac versions okay. later down the road. So, of Dying Light 1 and um, Borderlands 3. So, 
they could be Mac games. <laughs> but until we know, it's not really worth uh, deep diving them or anything. So, all right, Ted, uh, thanks for coming on and lending okay. your wisdom and expertise <laughs> to the show in all its forms. And yeah. thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, all right. Well, take care. Good to be here. Awesome. All right. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.